Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to this edition of All Options Considered. I'm Tambea Sandhu, Chief Global Derivative Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg. On this episode, I'm joined by Anna Reicheva, ex-Citibank options trader and founder of Sonia Capital Management. Thanks for joining today, Anna. Thank you, Tanver. It's my pleasure to be here. So we've seen violent moves in the bond market in both directions over recent weeks due to a mixture of financial stability risks, given the move higher in policy rates and the high uncertainty around the policy path that we've seen through you know, these fast-changing narratives. So the error bands are getting wider and cycle turns bring a lot of noise. The good news is that the policy response has calmed fears to a degree, although the risk of credit contraction has uh, bumped up recession odds. I mean, I did start questioning the decline in volatility that we saw in January and whether it happened too fast. You know, in the beginning of the quarter, the Fed was on, on the predictable path of raising rates. And since then, the financial stability consideration and the, the market pricing um, easing into year-end, now we have two-sided distribution. So that naturally has increased volatility. But in addition to that, the market has woken up to the risk the interest rate risk in different portfolios, whether it's banks, insurance companies, any, any bondholder has interest rate risk. And given the size of that market, it, it makes sense that volatility is higher to f- reflect the magnitude of that, of the interest rate risk in portfolios. With the current market structure just intermediating risk, there is additional cost to transacting in the market. So that's also adding to volatility. So, you know, we've widened the distribution two-sided. All of a sudden, the market has more focused on interest rate risk in portfolios. And in addition, as risk is being intermediated, the cost of transacting has also gone up. So these all are supportive of higher interest rate volatility. Right. So... In terms of liquidity, we've seen, you know, the ability to move risk in size in the market is much more difficult now compared to a decade ago. So lately, we've seen the cost uh, to trade futures on the two-year treasury yield spiked up to about 3x. So liquidity, so it's really compared to 10 years ago, um, the, the risk intermediation is different because let's say 10 years ago, a lot of the risk was primarily... Uh, transport in the OTC market. So, you know, a customer would come in, a dealer will make a market, and they'll warehouse the risk for a period of time through their uh, franchise. And it's that they have time to transfer the risk. The information of the flow coming to market was not apparent immediately. Now, the transparency in markets, a lot of the risk transfer happens intraday. Nobody's warehousing the risk. And in this electronification of markets, where you're, the, the marginal market provider is um, a high-frequency 
trading farm where they don't warehouse risk, the market will move to a level where the risk transfer makes sense for somebody else to step in and warehouse the risk for a longer period of time. But this is all visible to all market participants. And this level of transparency, you know, on one hand, transparency is good, it's good information, but it, it does too much transparency, it raises the premium of transacting it, the risk premium of transacting in the market. So I think part of this higher liquidity premium is really the the way risk is intermediated in the current environment. And we've seen when the market needs liquidity the most, and given that high-frequency traders are providing that, they tend to pull away as volatility goes up, so we have this feedback loop. We've seen in recent years a greater frequency of vol spikes, and also the, the, the decline has been particularly fast as well. Right, because the volatility spikes while the risk is being transferred. Once the risk has been transferred to the ultimate risk holder, there is no flow. Like flow, volatility and flow go hand in hand. Once the flow dies down, vol comes off. And that's why the mean reversion is so quick. Vol is the mean reverting asset, but in terms of the mean, it's always a moving target. And the decay process is always the question. And it can often depend on uh, the trigger of the vol spike. So the VIX spike in 2018 was more more of a technical-based spike, whereas COVID was a true shock and actually the biggest market shock relative to trailing realized volatility. So how do you assess the current decay process as, you know, the cycle seems to be turning? We've got rates fall, you know, at, at extreme levels. So... It will be challenging for rate vol to go back to, you know, let's say the, the, the levels from a couple of years ago. You know, short term rate volatility follows flows, uh, but longer term interest rate volatility is aligned with the volatility of the economic cycle. If, if inflation is stable, the volatility of the economic cycle comes from um, the real growth, and that's less volatile than the inflation component. So going forward, if we're structurally into a higher inflation regime, I think we're going to continue to experience a more volatile economic cycle than we have in the past. The second consideration is if indeed we're switch, you know, we're going into a recession and the Fed has to cut rates, then the curve will steepen. And as the Fed is also active, lowering rates, that will also contribute to higher volatility. And, and finally, it's in a sell-off portfolios that are long duration need to transfer risk. In a rally, there is a lot of mortgage risk embedded um, in the U.S. market, so in a rally, you also have demand for convexity from mortgage hedgers. So I think interest rate volatility will remain elevated. As soon as we moved away from the zero bound, you know, we've eff effectively opened up the rates distribution, which has to be right. reflected in higher volatility by definition. Okay. What's actually been interesting lately is FX vol in terms of, you know, it's really lagged 
rates volatility. And I suspect it's down to a lack of directional views in that space and flows. And the beta of FX to the other asset classes has been quite choppy, actually. So I think conviction is low. And I think the lows we saw in FX vol in March should be the floor, given the continued uncertainty. I'm surprised also how low FX vol is. And then my explanation is, I, I, I echo your, your reasoning. Um, you know, FX is really a relative interest rate differential trade. And, you know, if we're simplifying, <laughs> there are other factors, but, and global rates by and large have been moving in sync. The, the U.S. has led the way, but it's global developed market rates have moved together higher, except for, for Japan. So, you know, there haven't been dramatic different rates moves in different currencies. While the dollar moved a lot last year, and you would think like if, if the dollar moves, you know, 20, 30 percent, that, that's got volatility needs to move in correspondence. But by and large, it has been a predictable move for options hedgers, the risk has been manageable. So the, the interesting part is what happens from here. Um, and I agree with you, like it, it, it is a FX volatility, it seems to me is, is unusually low. And, and, that, and, and, and that may be an opportunity. What do you make of um, dollar yen? I mean, it's quite interesting from the perspective that given that where the BOJ is with policy rates and the rest of the world has moved much higher, as we are now, the asymmetry could arguably be to the downside of dollar-yen, given where the rates distribution is going in the U.S. And if the high cycle in the U.S. is a main driver of dollar-yen, you know, you could argue that downside of dollar-yen looks pretty interesting. I agree with you. Um, the issue, again, is you're facing a, a negative carry trade. So then timing it, how you time it is important. Traditionally, it's a risk-off um, trade, um, but it, it didn't participate in the risk-off environment we had in the past six months. It just hasn't participated, and so that's unusual. So, the, you know, for if we are going into a more sustained risk-off environment, that's another op opportunity um, to express a risk of view through through the yen. If you cap rates, the only way, to, you know, for, you know, in Japan, like since they cap the yields, the only move is through the currency. In an inflationary environment, the only thing that can give is the currency. So that's, the move is, it makes sense. Um, you know, is it, was it a little bit outsized when the, the yen, re, you know, the dollar yen reached 150, that, that was probably too much. <laughs> so going forward, it'll be interesting to see if the yen shifts, um, as a more traditional risk off instrument, that's an opportunity, especially given how low, um, FX volatility is. And then when you look at inflation in Japan has been fairly contained compared to other developed markets. So the real effective exchange rate, the yen, from that perspective, the yen looks quite, quite attractive.
FX file is kind of an interesting level. But as we've seen, you know, these things can end up just decaying and nothing happens. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, honestly, this market is so day to day. That's one thing mm. I've learned. It's, it's really my horizon has contracted. Hence the rise of zero days to expiry options, right? Which yeah. are now yeah. a dominant option flow in the US equity space. The equities, yeah. Uh, so we truly, we truly are operating day to day. And, you know, the bond market's moving plus or minus 20 basis points is almost becoming quite normal now. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. It's just reflecting the kind of super uncertainty. And, we, and we've seen these really fast changing narratives, right? Yeah, and I've I've kind of over the years I've learned to discount narratives, and I just it's it, it, you know because a narrative does not always you know unless follows with risk transfer it doesn't it doesn't mean much exactly <laughs> so exactly. I, I I focus mostly on okay this is what type of risk is being transferred and 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 and, the, and then infer the narrative from there. It was great to have you on, Anna. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, it was a pleasure. Hope to have you on again. And, and thanks for listening to this edition of All Ops Considers. Happy trading. Hope you'll join me again, Tanvir Sandhu. Of course. Thank you.